This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. But not really. I'm your professional voiceover host, Brian Edwards. And I am your other professional podcaster host, Stephen Trigar. Hi, Stephen. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm all right. That's good. Feeling my fantasy today. But I'm... Yes. But you get it? Because it's my topic today, and today I'm talking about... Fantasy. fantasy insert sparkle fantasy sounds here <laughs> you have to do that now i <laughs> you've legally podcast law said it yes well today i decided to choose the topic of fantasy because you're a big nerd i am a huge nerd because <laughs> you're a big old nerd so much of the things that i like big honking nerd <laughs> So much of the stuff that I like outside of music are pretty much fantasy based. And because I have so many things that I want to talk about that are fantasy related in upcoming episodes, I figured that I would just do the broadest topic I could think of that would encompass it all and just talk about fantasy itself and where it comes from and stuff about it. That sounds like a lot for one episode. And I don't think it will be. I'm just going to go over some of the history, and then we're just going to talk about some of our favorite fantastical things. Fantasy. (laughs) So for those of you who do not know, I'm specifically talking about the fantasy genre of of, books and and movies and and games and all those kinds of things. Uh, Fantasy. That's all. <laughs> I found a definition of fantasy, and I know this is probably going to sound kind of like I'm talking down, but I just want to say... No, in case you don't know what fantasy is... In case you don't know what fantasy is, fantasy is a genre of speculative fiction set in a fictional universe, often inspired by real-world myth and folklore. Which is pretty obvious, but... Thanks reason- for that very clear definition of which I would have had no idea what you were talking about otherwise. <laughs> but I really wanted to make that definition because uh, after a few days ago we watched uh, the movie Inception, uh, I, you and I had a conversation after the film was over and you said something about uh, it being sci-fi. Because it is. Because it is, exactly. And I questioned myself and I went to bed thinking... What's the difference between sci-fi and fantasy? Would you say it kept you up at night? It didn't keep me up. It uh, once I figured it out, I went to sleep, and then so like four a.m. No, probably about ten thirty. No. <laughs> about half an hour after we finished the movie, two hour and thirty minute movie. Man, that was the longest movie I've ever watched. After... Just you wait. <laughs> Actually, I think the the longest movie I ever watched was Gods and Generals. Which I still don't know why I ever watched that Never movie. Never heard of it. Yeah. Anyway, 
I found a quote from the website Gotham Writers that I thought kind of separated science fiction from fantasy quite well. It says, Science fiction explores what is possible, even if it's improbable, while fantasy explores the impossible. So, fantasy specifically, I mean, we're thinking about, like, things that don't exist, and we're putting them into the world, either a world that doesn't exist, or... Personally, my big thing about why I can tell the difference between sci-fi and fantasy usually has to do with, like, the subject matter. Yeah. So often, like, sci-fi is, like, it's a realm of which most of the logic of the the story revolves around some scientific-based fictional idea, like Inception and the idea of, like, dream-delving, diving into these subconsciouses, which is not totally out of the realm of... I mean, there are studies that monitor dream patterns and and try to get a clear idea of where our dreaming scapes come from. Right. But then in fantasy would be like, well, what if it was all magic? Right. What if it was fairies and ghouls? (laughs) What if there was a dragon? Right. The only thing that I have to kind of question is what genre do you feel that superheroes fall under? I would say mostly sci-fi, but not really. They're its own genre. They're action. They're not really... When I was doing some research for this episode, I found that superhero literature is defined under fantasy. It's the more specifically the genre of quote-unquote hard fantasy which also kind of blends in with the quote-unquote soft science fiction. Um, but it's also, like, it's... it's To me, so- superheroes are its own genre. Yeah. It'd be like trying to say, well, what is Harry Potter in the greater scheme of things? Right. Like, <laughs> that would be kind of half-urban fantasy, partially. Like, it's... Yeah, like, you can dissect it, but, like, superheroes are in... in but, like, there are... You can say it's fantasy, but, like, Iron Man as a superhero isn't yeah. like gifted with abilities and po- he built his his suit and made it out of what is considered like science fiction related understanding of construction and engineering right and like batman is a superhero but he's not you know inundated with like super strength and flight he's just good right. at fighting and being a good detective um so i'm gonna go as far back in history as we can possibly go fantastical elements can be found in the epic of gilgamesh which is the earliest surviving notable literature and the second oldest religious text right after the pyramid texts funny enough the only reason i know of gilgamesh is because of a different fantasy. Some some call it the final fantasy. <laughs> as in the final fantasy series. Yeah. The primary reason why the Epic of Gilgamesh is believed to have fantastical characteristics is because it describes words that have the power to control spirits. There's magical symbols that invoke spirits. And there are amulets that exercise demons. Um... But 
it's a stretch to consider the Epic of Gilgamesh to be some kind of fantastical thing. Most of it is based in, in religion and folklore. Um, and most of the things that I'm about to bring up are folklore that have inspired our modern fantasy. Um, and we're going to move on to the one of the largest impacts on our uh, modern fantasy, whether we know it or not. And that is the Greco-Roman mythology. Yes. Which I know is your favorite of the mythologies. One of them. One of them, yeah. Um, so... What they contributed to modern fantasy is the idea of the hero's journey or the quote-unquote chosen hero. The one. The one. Like from the Matrix. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, that is a, that's yeah. the same thing. I mean, that, that trope is comes from, yeah. from Greco-Roman mythology. Yeah. Um, yeah. Magical gifts that are donated to win over battles or win over some particular conflict um specifically the ring that you'll find in plato's republic which mm. oddly enough is kind of the same ring that you'll find in uh the nibelungen lead from germany right. and the one ring the one rule exact- them all. <laughs> exactly <laughs> um thanks tolkien you're right uh Greco-Roman mythology has also given us the uh, characteristic of prophecies, uh, as well as monsters and creatures, and most importantly, magic. Magic. Magic to the Greeks and the Romans were something completely unnatural, even to the gods. Uh, The gods feared magic because it gave anybody and everybody the power to do what was supposed to be reserved for the gods like Circe and Calypso and a lot of I think a lot of Hercules stories revolve around magic that is not supposed to be allowed uh, and so magic is something to be feared in uh, Greco-Roman mythology but I mean that whole mythology even spawned its own like modern story Right, directly, not just like implied or like tape piece. Like, God of War is right. very obviously a story based off Greek mythology. Right, right, right. At least the the original games. Lots of magical, fantastical things happening in Greco-Roman mythology. Let's move on to some more traditions that have affected our modern fantasy let's go whoa time travel <laughs> we're gonna go over to uh back over to the eastern whoa, world location uh, travel <laughs> um the chinese contributed dragons dragons Come half they they're half of the, our modern conception of dragons. Dragons. Um, Western depictions of dragons um, has a winged, horned, four-legged beast capable of breathing fire. Kind of more lizard-like than snake-like, which in the Eastern traditions, specifically in China. Dragons are wingless, four-legged, serpentine creatures 
with an above average intelligence and wisdom. Mm-hmm. So for our modern conception, the two ideas of dragons were kind of compiled together for the most part. Uh, and now we just have dragons that are great, powerful and knowledgeable beings uh, that do not exist. <laughs> yes. Yes. You, well, that's not true. There is a dragon on Earth. The Komodo dragon. The Komodo dragon. I think that's just the name. <laughs> it's enough for me, man. <laughs> I need a little bit of fantasy in this Fan- world to get by. We do. Yes. And then let's go to Islamic Middle East, where we get genies and magic lamps and magic carpets and all those wonderful Middle Eastern type fantasies that we get. Fantasy. <laughs> uh, more specifically, we get most of these from one source, which is called the Book of One Thousand and One Nights. Arabian Nights. Yes, Arabian Nights, which we in there we get the stories like Aladdin and Alibaba and uh, I can't remember a lot. Of... <laughs> I think most people just know of Aladdin. Yeah, that's the big one. It's the one that Disney made the movie of twice. Twice, yeah. Well, they've started making a lot of movies twice. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> From there, we get the conception of long ago and the far, galaxy far, away. far away. Not a galaxy. <laughs> most of the most of the stuff that we get from uh, Thousand and One Nights does happen on Earth, but really far away from where we are, in a place that doesn't exist. Um, long ago. <laughs> Uh, now we're going to get to the, probably the most obvious influence on our modern fantastical ideas. But I'm going to ask you first, what do you think has had the most influence on our modern fantasy genre from medieval Europe? What from medieval Europe do you think has influenced us the most? Us as like a people or like the fiction that- more so the fiction. I mean, from medieval Europe, I always think of like the courts and the knights mm-hmm. and the tale of the, you know, like Rapunzel-esque woman who's trapped in from some faraway land. and Right. Basically Shrek. Yeah, Shrek. <laughs> Just like everything. Everything comes back to Shrek. <laughs> right. But, like, Shrek is a parody of, of fairy tales. Yeah. So, it's, like, in itself is, like, especially with the sequels. Right. Particularly the first one, because the other ones kind of smell like doo-doo. Right. Um, but, like, they have that whole joke about they go too far, far away in, like, the literal sense. It's right. an actual place and not just a, an idea. Right. And there's everyone's there, Snow White, Rapunzel, Cinderella are all, like, actual people that just happen to live around far far away right yeah i think when i was doing research for this episode one thing that i found is that our understanding of the setting of these fantastical stories fantasy stories are all primarily based on 
fairy tale settings. What the the fairy tales of our past have kind of created were not what the real life was at that time. So I would assume so. Not yeah. Well, and and kind of like what we were talking about with the uh, the Thousand and One Nights, they were dealing with trying not to create stories that were going to upset any particular kingdom. So everything was created to be in this world that didn't exist. So nobody was hurt in any way by whatever weird doings were going on in that that particular kingdom. So our medieval European fairy tales, uh, when they say things like long ago and far away in these castles and these knights in shining armor that's not really how medieval Europe was um, and the reason why we still think of like when we think of fantasy we automatically think of these stone castles and old timey kind of like a renaissance clothing. fair renaissance right yeah it's it's primarily because stories like this first have been embedded into our understanding of literature for so long that why would we shake up the setting of fantastical stories um but there certainly are of course people who decided that they wanted to go in a different route but that's why for the most part things like dungeons and dragons the game kind of bases itself in in a renaissance like time period yeah i mean certainly the early editions of it. right right exactly i mean there are, are certainly branches that go out into to more modern type settings but fairy tales have had a huge impact on the modern fantasy genre so we're gonna jump up a few hundred years <laughs> to when modern fantasy literature truly began as we know it today. Uh, it is said to, that it began in the 19th century, just in the mid-19th century, which seems really, really young for fantasy. Um, it started with a Scottish author, and get this, his very, it's a very basic name, George MacDonald. George MacDonald has. <laughs> His book, Fantasies, spelled with a P-H. Fantasies. Subtitled, A Fairy Romance for Men and Women. <laughs> that book was published today. That would have a whole different meaning. Yeah. And fairy was spelled F-A-E-R-I-E. Fairy. Fantasies, a fairy romance for men and women. <laughs> it is considered to be the first fantasy novel written for adults. How do you feel about that? A little uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> Up until the point of this book being written... Fairy tales and fantastical stories were written specifically for children. 
Um, both J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis have both noted that George MacDonald was a major influence on them. I just don't like this idea of like fairy romance. That seems <laughs> I think... like a particular kink that seems a little <laughs> bit out of my comfort zone. So the reason why fairy is spelled F-A-E-R-I-E is because it's hinting at a magical romance for... Oh, I'm fully aware of yeah. that still. Yeah, kind of like the reason why the Nutcracker Ballet is called is actually, by Tchaikovsky's definition, a fairy ballet spelled that kind of same way that we spell it here. Fun fact about the fair that spelling of fairy, it's the same way they spell fairy in the internet game for children, Neopets. Neopets. I forgot those existed. <laughs> I never forget. <laughs> <laughs> well. C.S. Lewis wrote, concerning his first reading of fantasies, a fairy romance for men and women. Yes, we get it. You have to keep saying it. <laughs> that that night, my imagination was, in a certain sense, baptized. The rest of me, not unnaturally, took longer. I'll leave your interpretation of that to yourself. <laughs> Sounds like he nutted himself. <laughs> Sounds like he got real horned up from watching this, reading this fairy romance. Yeah, <laughs> I really want to read this book now. Just I do not, and you cannot in this apartment or in our future apartment or any future living abode that we we share together. All right, I'll just go to the library and read it. Yeah, feel free. Do it at work. I don't give a shit. Just not in front of me. <laughs> well. This, of course, as I said, was a novel for adults. The first... Stop saying novel for adults. Novel, that. That's well, That's why I'm, I'm saying like it. I like it that way. I'm saying it like that because, unfortunately, for oh. quite some time, <laughs> fantasy intended for adults was considered inappropriate. Only children should be concerned with fantasy, and adults were to abandon any reading Within that genre. That's not fair. That I don't agree with. While many authors fought to publish their fantasy novels for adults, the success of children's fantasy novels outshined them. Books like, and obviously very much so, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, and Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Of course, children's fantasy novels outshined the adult ones. And the yeah, because there are some of the most popular stories we have today. Like they transcended their time period. Right. Um, because of these successes for juvenile readers, books even as late as The Lord of the Rings would be roped into children's literature despite the author's intentions. So I, I can't even imagine thinking of... Oh, imagine you being a child and being like <laughs> six years old and being like, I want to read a fantasy. And you pick up The Lord of the Rings... And you're like, this isn't the fantasy Papa read me. <laughs> this is a fairy romance. I want my Peter Pan, Papa. <laughs> yes. So, now that we've done our history lesson, it is time for us to take a bit of a break. Be right back. Now 
now that we're back, I wanted to ask you what some of your favorite things that fall within the fantasy genre. No, I've, I mean, I've definitely read a decent amount of fantasy in my day. And I've watched the movies and played the games. I know you're a big fan of the Elder Scrolls. I'm a huge fan of Elder Scrolls. And that's a huge fantasy game series. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm currently in in between our episodes of recording right now. I'm replaying The Witcher 3, which is mm-hmm. another big fantasy game. That, I think, is one of the even more, like, really true to... It's it's referencing folklore, right? Because like it's more than just, uh, and it goes off like anyone that's watched a TV show can even get the vibe of it. It's like when you're like in combat with the go- the ghouls and monsters and goblins and stuff you fight, you have to be careful of even what kind of weapon you're using because of the like mythological restrictions. Like if you're fighting a werewolf, you have to use a silver sword because werewolves. Have an, uh, an animosity towards silver, right? And so, like, it's a little bit more rooted in its own lore that way. Yeah. Well, I know that. I mean, because you started replaying The Witcher, I did a little bit of research last night, and I was thoroughly surprised to find that yes, it was a novel series before it became anything else but it started off as just a simple little article that Mm -hmm. he submitted for for uh just whatever yep for his own edification just as starting off as a as a writer yeah yeah and then it turned into a book series and then a tv show and a movie and then a game series and then another tv series and then they just put out a movie on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I want to watch. I haven't watched yet. That's animated. It's animated. Yeah. So they've done a lot with that series. And I think it's honestly, in my opinion, one of the more unusual situations where it really didn't hit mainstream popularity until it became a video game. And then that's what they based off. Like, well, the... at least here in America. Yeah. But I mean, that's, but even like internationally, because it's yeah. a Polish yeah. uh, story right. in nature. But like in terms of like international appeal, it didn't really hit any sort of popularity until it became a video game. Right. Because when, when he was writing it, it was there was a huge cult following in Poland and Central Europe. Uh, and like you said, then once it became a game series, it became like the international you, success. It's, just, it's one of those, it's just, you don't usually get it that way. Like if you think of right. any other like fantasy series, it's usually book, movie, or TV series. And then and game. And then game if they get that far. Right. It's kind of like how the Harry Potter series went. Right. Yeah. And I mean, even then was like the games were really more of a promotional for the movies as opposed right. to being bait. Like The Witcher, because of what it is, because even the movie and TV series that came only in Poland, it wasn't called The Witcher, it was called The Hexer. Mm-hmm. And right. It was more loosely based off the the Witcher than it was like like the games are pulling directly from the books as like in a way that no other medium can really do because right they're in the video game world considered open world games so you can kind of do whatever you want and however you want it to do without 
not having to like worry about following a line, a linear path through the game, but there's still right. this one major main quest you have to like get through to find the beginning and end of the story of that game. Right. So with that, they can put a lot more of the universe into the game as opposed to doing it based on a movie that they still have to feel faithful towards. Right. Yeah. So. I, I don't know too much about The Witcher, but I it mo, mo, the more that I watch and watch you play, the more I want to read the books. But there are so many books that I've got to get through and read. So um, you, there's a few fantasy series that we have the, <laughs> the have, books of because of the TV shows that they've been based off of. Yeah. Well, I'm currently... Well, I started reading The Magicians, and it's a bit of a slog. So I paused to <laughs> to pick up uh, Shadow and Bone because we had just finished watching that first season on Netflix as well, which I am thoroughly enjoying. And right off the bat, it's just something, the reason kind of why I'm bringing this up is within the first few pages of the book, they make a huge distinction that what they're doing in that world is not magic. They say that whatever they're doing, the conjuring of fire and water and air and manipulating people's hearts and all those things, it's not magic. It's science. And because magic implies that you're conjuring something out of nothing. But what they're doing is they're just manipulating what's already there. That's also the same sort of logic around The Witcher. Too. Right. Because the, the Witcher, they especially they cover in the TV show, when you, for those who have watched it, spoiler alert if you haven't, there's a whole arc of Yennefer seeing her become the powerful mage that she is in the, like the rest of the series. They explain the magic of that world as based in, it's it uses chaos as like an energy but also in order to like create and and use you have to also take away from something else right kind of like alchemy in a sense right and even that like the anime full metal alchemist i know you've seen me watch some of is also similar to that vein of it's a magic of some sort but they also have a very clear breakdown of how they're quote-unquote magic this alchemy works based on the this law of equivalent exchange about how you can't take away without giving something up and in order to you know turn something into something else you have to pull from something that is already existing right i like those things they're very good yeah i think some of my favorite things within fantasy and the reason why i'm kind of doing this episode is because i want to create a kind of a kind of baseline for a lot of things that I eventually want to talk about. Some of my favorite things in this life is The Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, and fairy tales just in general. I love I love those things and I I I kind of, I love all type of fantasy things, but those those three major things one of my goals in life is to collect all of Andrew Lang's fairy books like he has like the red fairy book and the blue fairy book and all these different color books which i have all of them in ebook form but i want all the physical ones <laughs> and barnes and noble has kind of started doing it where 
they have a, a one of their leather bound books that is uh, like a little bit of each of the books called um, and it's published as fairy tales from around the world and uh, yeah I love them and I'm, I'm kind of looking at them all right now and on my bookshelf I have that book and I have all of the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales um, and I have a, a winter compilation of fairy tales and yeah so many of them and a lot of a lot of them are on my kindle as well but i grew up reading a lot of fairy tales uh, i had a, a very specific book that i can't even remember like i do remember the illustrations were some of the creepiest i've ever seen and i wish that i knew what the the book was but i remember the cover had um the the snow white stepmother looking at her mirror uh and just looking back at herself um it was very dark a lot of green marble yeah the evil queen um and yeah it was i think i feel like it was this uh uh I i can't even i can't even remember but i remember that that book was the reason why it was that I became loving fairy tales so much. I used to read that book all the time over and over again. And if anybody knows what I'm talking about, uh, let me know. I'm going to certainly try and find it again. I don't even know what it would be. Yeah. These, the illustrations were, were beautiful. They were all very realistic, uh, yet still obviously very artistic. Um, but yeah, um, and I grew up also on the Wizard of Oz. I do know this about you. I do. Yeah. Uh, the Wizard of Oz, I have a family member who loves the Wizard of Oz. Like she wrote it herself. Uh, and I just, I don't know what it was about it. And there's just, I grew up on the movies. I grew up on reading the books. I have... You know what's funny about The Wizard of Oz is everybody knows that at least the first book, but there are 15 books in The Wizard of Oz series. There's a, It's a series, and when I first discovered that, I was like, there's more? Oh, I know. We've had our conversations about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And these are all... And, and Alice in Wonderland, these are all topics that I... Cannot wait to get to, but I figured I would do this little kind of deep dive into into fantasy. It's like a, it's like a preamble for your future mm. topics. For my future topics, right? One last thing I want to, because I might talk about the series at some point, but one of my favorite fantasies of all time, and it's no more about the universe, but Avatar. Avatar, yeah. Avatar: Last Airbender, yeah. Legend of Korra. Now they're making a whole production company just to work on more universe stories in that universe. Oh, yeah, I love the because they they created their own like sense of logic that I really like. The whole different elemental benders and yeah nations that are 
but even like this just like the, the designations and the abilities and they get like some people have like almost mutations of those bending powers to get them to have more powers and it's just right plus just metal bending and metal lava, bending, lava bending. bending blood bending right and then there's the combustion man from the first series who can create explosions out of his forehead right I just think that was such a cool series, and that was one of those series series that that was while inspired by a lot of uh, Asian uh, inspirational like folklore, specifically in Chinese. Yeah, well, it pulls from a lot of different Asian cultures, but the stories themselves were inherently for a TV audience, which right. you don't usually get. Normally, you have to go through the level of having it be written for a book and then badly. Trans- transitioned into a TV show or movie right? before you get what you really want. But that's the rare case where it became a TV show and then badly transitioned to a movie that everyone hated. Yeah. And speaking of book series that became book, that were books originally and then turned into terrible movies, maybe except for the first, is it Chronicles of Narnia? I like that first two. I like the first one. <laughs> I didn't necessarily like the other two. That came out. I didn't see the third one. It came out like way later than I think people need cared about. Yeah, and it was also done by a different production company. I think it was. I, I don't remember, but I remember that *Lines of the Witch in the Wardrobe* was one of my favorite book series to read. Um, somebody just happened to give me the whole entire series minus Prince Caspian, um, and. As a gift one year, my aunt Trisha gave me a copy of Prince Caspian. So I have I have the whole series, and if you look at my copies, you see all of them are the same within the, from the same publishing company except for one, and it's numbered different. So it's not even numbered like the other series. I think Prince Caspian on that one in that series is book four. So it looks like I have two book fours, but they're two different novels. Well, that whole uh, series has some yeah. There's numbering issues. Different publishing companies reconfigure them because they feel like certain books fit in a better timeline than others. I know, like a a lot of them will take book six and put it as book one because it's the prequel to the whole series uh out of all eight books i think it's eight books yeah oh seven maybe seven maybe yeah um because the magician's nephew a lot of a lot of publishing companies take magician's nephew and put it as number one see i remember i grew up with the scholastics uh publishing of it and they put Prince, Prince Caspian as one, and Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe as two. Mm. But then everyone would be like, no, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe should be read first, because it introduces the main characters in Caspian. But it's like, but what is it? Yeah. But then why is it, why is it two? Yeah. <laughs> why did they make it two? Yeah. Well, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was written, written first. Um, and then Prince Caspian... And then Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, followed by the Silver Chair or the Horse and His Boy. I can't remember. But Magician's Nephew was definitely six. 
Um, the only thing that I didn't like about that series was that uh, the four main characters of the first few books no longer became the main characters. And that their cousin became the main characters for the majority of the rest of the books until the very last one when they all came back for that final battle. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he read too many George MacDonald books. Too many Too many fairy, fairy romances. romances. <laughs> Is there anything else? Not that I can think of. Oh, I mean, we didn't talk too much about Lord of the Rings as a whole, but I feel like it could be a whole episode on its own. Lord of the Rings, yeah. Lord of the Rings, I feel like, I mean, all of these topics that we're talking about can be their own. And they're, I mean, we've kind of touched on Lord of the Rings already within the Norse mythology episode. So I'm going to kind of skip on that one until we do a whole episode on it. But yeah, there are just so many things that I want to cover in future episodes that here is the base episode for it all. Here's your introduction to the rest of our episodes on this, this topic. At least on my half. <laughs> well, anyway, so that is going to do it for us today. Before we close out our episode, we want to give some thank yous. Thank you to everybody who listens to our show. Yes, and thank you to Daryl Banner for our wonderful theme music. Thank you. Yes. Thank you to all the people that support us on Patreon. Yes, and if you want to support us, you can go to our Patreon page by going to patreon.com slash reallycultured. When you go there, you can support us at a dollar a month, uh, which gives us general support. Then, if you would also like to support us even more and get some benefits with it, you can support us at $5 a month as well, and you'll get ad-free versions of every episode and discount codes in our merch store. And we understand if you can't support us financially, because times are always tough, and we understand that we do this for free on our own dime, on our own time, because we just feel like doing it because we like to talk to each other about fun things that we like to be interested in. But if you can't support us financially, we totally understand. But the best way you can support us without having to pay money is share it with your friends. And rate and review. And rate on... and review on the, fa- in the podcast apps. Yeah. And that all helps us out. But And, and again, if you, can, if you want to support us too, think about liking... Our Facebook page, following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Really Cultured. This is pretty much where you can find us on all those things. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it means a lot to us, because the more you guys follow us, the bigger our, our impact can be made to get a bigger audience, to get more people to listen. Yeah. And with that, well, that is it for today. I'm Steven Chagar. And I'm Brian Edwards, the professional voice actor on the show. <laughs> and we like to ask you, listener, are you feeling really cultured today? I am. Bye. Bye.
Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.